I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus 20, Exodus chapter 20. We want you to have a Bible to follow along. So the guys are coming up front. They have some, and they're going to make their way to the back. If you need a Bible, just get their attention, and they'll get one of those to you, marked for you at Exodus 20. And that Bible is our gift to you. We want everyone to own a copy of God's Word. Exodus 20. God gave his Ten Commandments in two categories. Those commands that deal with our relationship to him and those that deal with our relationships to one another But in that order, those that pertain to our relationship with God are first because he is to be our priority. Because how we interact with one another is, in fact, influenced by our relationship to him. That God is the priority is seen in Jesus' famous answer to the question, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So the first four of the Ten Commandments are about how we relate to God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And thirdly, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And then, as we saw last week, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And then we're given six commands about human social interaction. Or, as Jesus said, the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And according to the Ten Commandments, loving neighbor includes honoring your father and your mother, as we'll see today. And then in weeks to come, you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. But each of these commands on how we relate to one another is dependent on our relationship with God. And that's because, friends, love for others, love for our fellow man in the kinds of expressions that we have here in the Ten Commandments, really is rooted and grounded in love for God. One preacher said, You see, true morality is impossible apart from true religion. True benevolence is impossible without true religion. True respect for parents is grounded in a correct understanding and respect for God and the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. True respect for human life is grounded in God as the creator of life. Life comes from God, and therefore you shall not murder, is grounded in the fact of God. If you have a love for human life and true respect for it, it's because you have an understanding of who God is. True respect for marriage in the home is based on the natural order which God has created. God made man first, then made woman. And from these two came the entire human race. And if you don't understand that, you don't really respect the idea of marriage in the home. And then respect for private property, you shall not steal, is rooted in the stewardship of what God has first granted to us. If you don't see it in that sense, then you don't really have a proper understanding of private property. And so love for people then is rooted in love for God. And for that reason, we have the first four commandments dealing with our relationship, first of all, to God. Because morality cannot stand on its own. It's a common fallacy, but morality cannot stand on its own base. 
There has to be an external standard by which everything conforms in order to be true or to be considered moral. So now we come to the fifth commandment. The first of the second table of the law regarding our relationships with one another. In verse number 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The fifth commandment serves as a bridge from the first tablet of the law to the second. That first tablet concerning God and now to the second those things that we owe to one another. One has said that the most tender and the most exquisite environment of these basic duties is in a well-ordered, God-honoring home and the proper relationship between children and their mother and their father. Our first human relationship is to our parents. And so that relationship bridges the gap from loving God to loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're being called to love our neighbor as ourselves in these six commands. But the first time we encounter, all of us, relationships with other people is in the home and in particular in our relationships to our parents. And to obey parents, then, is to obey the command of God. So in that sense, the parent-child relationship in the home is a bridge or a transition from God to humanity because parents, in a real sense, stand in the place of God in a biblically functioning home. G. Campbell Morgan said this, Upon the child's response to the first facts of relationship. He's referring here to the home. Upon the child's first response to the first facts of relationship will depend its response to the higher facts to be revealed in the process of the years. He said all the subsequent commandments concerning human relationship will be easy or difficult to obey according to the measure of obedience rendered to this. He's saying that if you cannot obey your parents, then you're going to have great difficulty with authority figures in other areas of life. So learning it early and learning it often is extremely important. And that's why God places it first among the commandments regarding human relationships. So as we continue our series in the Ten Commandments, we come today to this pivotal fifth command to honor father and mother. Let's ask God to help us. As we look at this together. Our Father, we are here in your presence because of you. Because you have made us, caused us to want to learn of you. To strengthen our relationship with you. To bring glory to you. So Lord, we're here because of you in that sense. We're here because of you. Because you are the one who sustains our lives. You're the one who controls all the events of our lives. You've allowed us to be here for this divine appointment. To open your word. To look therein, to see your character extolled, and to see the conformity that we each still need to make. So help us, Lord, to approach now this fifth commandment that you gave among the ten with open hearts, with attentive minds. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, every week for our message, we have inserted in the program an outline. If you don't have that out as yet, I encourage you to take that out so you can follow along. And I say, first of all there, that marriage is the priority relationship. This command to honor father and mother assumes a father and mother that is, and a husband and a wife. And therefore, this command assumes marriage. Now, one of the mistakes made in our homes is to make children the center. We make our children the center of our homes. 
It's a mistake for a few reasons, one of which is that it means that we have forgotten what I say in the outline, that marriage is permanent. Marriage is permanent. You see, mom and dad, we are raising our children to one day leave. The Bible tells us this in the second chapter of the Word of God. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And so other than in exceptional circumstances, our children will and they should one day leave home. Now, if you're like me, you are saddened at the thought, in one sense, of your kids moving out. If you're not, it may be because your home is not operating according to biblical principles and therefore there's havoc and therefore you can't wait until they leave. It's amazing how many divorces occur after the last child leaves the home because the parents have not cultivated their relationship due to leading a child-centered home. If you've led a child-centered home and you forget that they're designed one day to live and you've not cultivated your marriage relationship, then when they leave, what do you have left? There are a number of reasons that parents fail to cultivate their marriage while their children are still in the home. It's because some parents are living for their children. Now, that sounds right at first. Yes, we're living for our children. We would do anything for our children. But ultimately, we were living for whom? We're living for God. And our children are a means by which we do that. And if we're going to rear our children for God, then the children do not become the center of the home. And secondly, you have parents who are living through their children, vicariously living the life that they wish they had had now through their children. And so everything is focused upon making sure that they have the experiences that the parents were deprived of. And God is explicit that marriage is permanent, but parenting is temporary. Marriage is permanent so long as we both shall live, but parenting is temporary. On marriage, what God has joined together, let no one separate, the Lord says. But on parenting, we raise them to, quote, leave, as Genesis 2.24 says. And the Hebrew word that's translated leave is elsewhere translated forsake. It means they move, they have a break, they start their, their own home. And so there's a a radical difference between the situation before living at home and the situation after. Now, we'll see later, there's still a relationship of honor that goes on. But we need to remember, parents, that marriage is permanent. Parenting, in the sense that it takes place when children are in a home, is temporary. Marriage is permanent, and I say in the outline, marriage is the foundation of the home. It's the foundation of the home in a couple of ways. It is the norm for family life. God's design is that a home be established with a married man and woman who are committed to each other as long as they live. So if you have a good marriage, give thanks to God, and even today, recommit yourselves to it. But whether your marriage is good or bad, I encourage you to take advantage of how to improve that then. Because all of our marriages, even good marriages, can be improved. And take advantage of the resources that we offer to help you improve that in our Family Life Ministry offerings, including coming up in November, the Weekend to Remember Marriage Retreat. If you don't know what that is, then ask at the, give your email address to the folks at the information desk, and we'll get that information to you. Now, some of you do not fit this pattern currently in your home situation due to divorce situations or for all sorts of other reasons. Some of you were victimized because a spouse left you. 
Others were married before you were saved, and you may have contributed to the demise of a family. Or you were a Christian, but perhaps backslidden and therefore did not pursue your marriage in obedience. But whatever the case, remember this, God is the God of second chances. Bear in mind, then, what God says about the importance of the home. Whatever your situation, whether married or not, or whether you have children or not, remember that we're all children of parents to whom the command to honor applies. So stay with it as we talk about our present homes, because we're going to get to some instructions on how to honor the parents of our past homes. Marriage is the norm for family life. And I say in the outline, it provides an authority structure for children. Parents have a natural and God-given authority over their children. And for the love of God and the well-being of our children, parents, we must exercise it. That means you cannot run your home like a democracy. Children do not have one vote each, and mom and dad have one vote each in the family. That's family according to Oprah. That's family in an Oprah-ized world, not in a biblical world. In the Word of God, the home is a husband lovingly leading, a wife willingly helping and following, and children who obey both. And that structure of authority in the home is based on the principle of authority that you see throughout the Word of God. Now, where did that authority principle come from? Where do we get this idea of a principle of hierarchical authority? Well, it comes from none other than God himself in what we call the economic trinity. Most of you are familiar with the idea of the triunity, that the one true and living God exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But among the relationships of Father, Son, and Spirit, there is a functional difference. Though they are completely equal in who they are, they are different in in what they do. There's an economy of function, a functional subordination among Father, Son, and Spirit. The Bible says this, the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ, notice, is God. The Father, Son, and Spirit are equal in who they are, fully God, different in their function, that is, in what they do. And the same is true between husband and wife, equal in who they are, different in what they do. And God has designed this into his universe. In everything external to God, including the home, the workplace, the church, the angelic realm, wherever there is this hierarchy of authority and submission. There are differing God-honoring ranks and positions among all of God's creatures, And when we defy or we ignore those distinctions, we do that to our own peril. We invite anarchy and chaos and disorder, including in our own homes. That exercise of parental authority requires discipline. And friends, once we lose the child-centered approach to parenting, then some of the discipline issues begin to fall into place. For instance you'll no longer feel the need to always explain and certainly never to argue with your child about what it was you told them to do. Because you understand that God has given you this role and you've taught them that God has given you this role. But this responsibility to exercise authority is for a larger purpose than simply having a tranquil environment for us at home. 
It's for the purpose of allowing now an environment for us to instruct them in the Lord. It creates a setting in which that instruction can occur. Parents are given the responsibility to lead the family to God and to model godliness before their children. God did not give our children to the state to raise, not to the church to raise, not to the school to raise. The raising of children is the responsibility of parents. Deuteronomy chapter 6, impress my commands on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. I'm glad that our church has always had a mix of educational choices represented in our families. Some homeschool, some of our kids go to Christian schools, some private, uh, some private, some public. Years ago, I was asked by a member what our church's policy is regarding education. I think she wanted me to say it's Christian, Christian education. But my answer was our policy is that parents are responsible for the education of their children. And whether you send your kids to a public school or a private school, notice this, you're still delegating a portion of what is still your responsibility. Parents can choose to delegate a portion of that responsibility to a school, private or public, but in either case, they can never abdicate their responsibility for their child's education. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, fathers and mothers, you are to bring those children up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Parents are to raise children to honor God and they're to teach them how to do it by instruction and by example. There's order within the nature of God himself and therefore he's designed his universe to be orderly, including in the home, through the authority of mother and father. So marriage is the priority relationship. Secondly, I say in your outline. The father and mother in that marriage, the parents, are to be respected. The command here is to honor your father and mother. Now, what does it mean to honor? It means to consider important. The Hebrew word used in this verse is one that means to be heavy. So the idea is to attach weight, to hold in high esteem, to reverence. One way to capture what it means is to look at what the Bible says it does not mean. What is the opposite? What does the contrast look like? Exodus 21 says, He who strikes his father and his mother shall surely be put to death. So if we're commanded to honor our parents, father and our mother, never would there be a blow struck to those that we are called to honor. A child should never be allowed to hit a parent. Now, as I mentioned last week, we're no longer under the law of Moses, so the penalty of death is not required, but the principle of respect for parents includes children are never to disrespect them, certainly not by physically striking them. That chapter goes on to say, anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Think about children who have said to parents things like, I hate you, or I wish you were dead. And consider, cursing parents was given the same penalty as cursing God. It shows the place that the parents had. We have a legal doctrine in our country called, in Latin, in loco 
parentis. That is in place of the parents. When children are under the care of the school, for example, the administration is supposedly acting on their behalf in place of the parents. The truth is, unfortunately, very often, they're acting contrary to the parents' interests, but that's what it's supposed to be. And in the home, the parents are in the place of God. So to curse parents was to pay the same penalty as cursing God. Leviticus 19 says, Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Now, when you have in the very same sentence the command to respect parents and to observe the Sabbath of the Lord, you have the role of parents elevated to a very high place, friends. As we saw last week, the Sabbath was the sign, the token of the Mosaic covenant that God made with Israel. And here, reverence for parents is put on a level with honoring the Sabbath day itself. The book of Proverbs has much to say about how children are to behave toward their parents. What I'm going to have on the screen in just a moment is kind of shocking in what Proverbs says regarding one who fails to do this. It says, The eye that mocks a father scorns an aged mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley will be eaten by the vultures get the idea God's serious about this I God gave the home and I expect the home to function as I God have designed parents are to be respected now I have four things that that means in your outline they're to be respected for who they are At a basic level, we're to respect our parents as people. We should offer them the courtesy that we should extend to all people. Rather than accentuating their flaws, we should highlight their positive qualities. One of the things that some approaches to modern psychology has done is devalue parents because they're to blame for all the bad things that have occurred in their children's lives. So people are encouraged to forgive their parents for not giving them what they believe they should have received. Sometimes that's necessary. So I'm not saying it isn't. But it's overblown and overdone in many cases. Sometimes what people think they're entitled to is the product of their own imagination. It is the case that parents are sinners and therefore sin. And some, no doubt, sin grievously against their children. And we should deal with objective sin and not allow a root of bitterness to control us. But we should also make sure that any such issue is indeed a sin and not merely a slight. No matter who you are, as a parent, a child of your parents, the truth is there is sinful imperfection in all of us. It's true for my wife and me. Both of us were blessed beyond measure to have parents who were Christians and raised us in a Christian home. Nonetheless, my mom and dad, if they were still here, they're with the Lord now, they would tell you that they struggled with sin. Mom and dad, Kim's mom and dad, mom and dad to me who are here would tell you the same thing. My mom had flaws, not many. One of them was she waited on me hand and foot. Kim will tell you that turned out to be a real flaw. (laughs) Carried over into marriage. But, you know, even so, uh, in the early years of our marriage, I wrote to mom and dad at one point, and I thanked them for raising their daughter for me. 
And in both cases, with my mom who raised me as a single parent after my father died, or with mom and dad, there is and there should be always a level of respect for who they are and the position that they hold. And I want you to notice that this honor extends to both father and mother. Honor your father and your mother. A woman in Israel had a place of honor in the home. She used to be given equal honor and respect with the father. And that's quite an advance over pagan cultures then and even in some cases today. Women have at times and even presently in some places been considered, frankly, as chattel property to be used to do menial labor. And they were treated as greatly inferior to men. But the Bible teaches very clearly that a woman is as much in the image of God as is the man. A woman is as much a person as a father and so deserves all the honor and all the dignity and the respect that the man, that the father does. Parents, both parents, are to be respected for who they are. Secondly, they're to be respected for what they do. Parenting is hard work. And it's to be honored. And so everybody here has been fed. Everybody here has been clothed. Everybody here has been provided shelter. And if you're a child, that's been provided to you by parents who do that and who work hard to do that. No matter what else they might do, with all of their issues and their struggles, they do that. Even a poor job of parenting is better than abandoning your family. If your parents have not abandoned you, then thank God there are many people who cannot say that. And we can all, if we are willing to look, find some things that our parents did right. And not only find those things that our parents did right, but tell them how much we appreciate the fact that they did those right. Parents are to be respected for who they are, for what they do. Thirdly, for what they teach. Respect for their commands is summed up in one word, obedience. It's an important aspect of honor. Obedience is an important aspect of honor. And the Bible connects the two of them in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, honor your father and your mother. So obedience is part of what it means to honor. Now, how long is a child to obey? The answer is until they leave home. When they establish their own home, the parent-child relationship moves from authority submission to mentor-mentee. Far too many parents miss this indispensable aspect of parenting and they allow their children to have authority over them by manipulation and threats. The child sets the expectation and throws a temper tantrum when he or she doesn't get their way. When that happens, the child, now hear this, the child is teaching the parent how to act and is demanding, really extorting things from the parents. The child gets upset and throws a fit and says, I'll go hide in my room with the door closed and do my own thing. A wise parent would say, I'll meet you there. And we'll talk about it and perhaps some other things. The only exception to children obeying is when a parent asks the child to do something unbiblical. Those cases are usually so rare as to really be 
irrelevant. Perhaps the most common might be something like a phone call and the parent tells the child to say that you're not there. I would just say to you parents, there's a much better way than asking your child to lie for you. Parents are to be respected for who they are, for what they do. What they teach is to be obeyed. And then lastly, they're to be respected for what they desire. A child should have respect for a parent's wishes. There may come a time, especially as a child gets older, that a parent might have a desire but not a demand. Those desires should be honored. The parent might desire that you not pursue a particular career or school. Now, if you're out of the house, that's your decision. And even if you're still in the home, a wise parent is going to allow latitude as you grow older to make your own decisions. But you should always honor their desires by talking about them and honestly weighing them. And I will make this promise to you, young people, that the older you get, the wiser your parents will become. Now, how long do I honor my parents? There's no age limits given in the Bible. Honor has no age limit. Even as adult children, the command to honor parents is still in effect. And so it's to be shown in the way we talk to and about our parents. It's to be shown in the time that we spend with them. It's shown in the way we treat them. The command to honor does not end at the age of 18 or or even when the child moves out. It continues until death. Now, while it's true that once you move out of the house and you can care for yourself, you're no longer under the obligation to obey your parents. Even so, we're still bound to honor them until one of us dies. This means, friends, that when they get old and frail, they're not to simply be put out to pasture, so to speak. They're not to be simply placed in an institution and forgotten about. In your New Testament... 1 Timothy chapter 5, the Bible says this, Children should learn to put their religion into practice by, notice, repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Children are brought into this world by their parents who love and care and nourish them. Parents are to be taken care of at the end of their lives by children who in turn love and care and nourish them. That might involve feeding, it might involve dressing, it might involve helping them, but remember, long before you do that for them, they did it for you. And the Bible says here it's a matter of repaying our parents and that this is pleasing to God. I hurt for parents who are put in nursing homes and then virtually abandoned by their children. Now, I realize that sometimes the care needs of Elderly parents surpasses the ability of the children to provide that directly, but to abandon them in their final stages of life is not honoring. We're to care for them to the end because honor has no age limits. And we have in our church some outstanding examples of people doing that. I didn't ask his permission, so I'm going to embarrass him here, but I'm going to mention Bill Wilson Sr. And... Decades ago, I've known the Wilsons for a long time. Decades ago, I had the privilege of being shown the apartment that Bill Wilson Sr. built for his parents. He designed the entire thing for them to care for them and for them to be able to get around in the apartment with some handicaps that they had. I was moved to tears by what I saw. 
Our own Pastor Rich has his mom living in Florida. She and his dad chose to move to Florida when his dad retired many years ago. His dad's with the Lord now. His mom is in her 80s. Pastor Rich's brother and sister live down there. And they, the three of them together, team up to take care of mom, including Pastor Rich and Tracy, making frequent trips about every three months down to Florida. Not just to see the sun, get in the sun, but to see mom and take care of mom. And now the last part of the verse gives a result of doing all of this. You live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That is, if you obey me in the matter, in this matter, then I, the Lord, will bless you by keeping you in the promised land. And being in the promised land was central to the well-being of God's people, Israel, in the first part of your Bible. Whether they were doing well in terms of obedience to God could be seen by whether or not they were in the land. It was an indication of God's favor, God's pleasure with them, that they were occupying the land. And it was an indication of his displeasure for their disobedience if they were not. And the Israelites understood this very keenly. When Israel was in captivity, they were deprived of the land. They were deprived of the forms of worship given to them in the law. And they really couldn't approach God in the prescribed way. The whole system had been disrupted by captivity And this caused great distress to be out of the land. And so in Psalm 137, which was written at a time when God's people were captive in a foreign land, they say, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? You see, to be in the land is to really be in right relationship with God then. You can always judge Israel in the first part of your Bible by her relationship to the land. And to obey this command to honor would give them a prolonged life in or on the land. But as we saw earlier, disobeying or dishonoring your parents, if you struck or if you cursed your father and your mother, you would not live very long in the land. As a matter of fact, you would be executed. Ezekiel 22 makes this very clear, the connection between honoring parents and being in the land. You have treated father and mother with contempt. So, I will disperse you among the nations and scatter you through the countries. Now, for us today, we don't have our obedience connected to the blessings of being in a particular piece of real estate. But as we saw earlier, this command is quoted in the New Testament. But I don't know if you noticed, but in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, the land portion is omitted. Rather than it being a legal guarantee that if you do this, then I'll certainly give you blessing that will result... It becomes for us proverbial. That is, it's generally true that if you live an obedient life, you'll live longer than if you hadn't. There are exceptions, of course, but that's the general rule. But we do it, friends, not because of a guarantee, but because of what we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 4, because it's pleasing to God. So, parents. I say to you, parents, as I say to myself, live in an honorable way so that your children respond with honor. Children, honor your parents whether they do that or not. And honor them for who they are and what they do and what they teach. And even give due consideration to what they desire, even if you're, after you're out of the home. Honor them as long as you're both alive because this is pleasing to God. Your take-home truth is this. We must guard the sanctity of our homes by developing God-honoring relationships. Let's bow before the Lord. 
Our Father, we thank you again for gathering us in your presence and then with your word opened. We thank you, Lord, for instructing us in it about how you have designed us to live based upon who you are. All of these commands are representative in some way of your character. And among Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is this order of authority and submission. And you've designed the realms of human relationship to do the same. And Lord, as it relates to our homes, the most important institution outside of the church that you have given, then Lord, help us to practice that. As parents, help us to see the awesome responsibility that you've given to us. And so model godliness before our children. As children, help us to see the responsible and dignified role that you have given to our parents and then help us to honor them in the way we behave toward them, in the way we talk to and about them and to do that for the remainder of our lives because, Lord, we want to please you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.